for a minute. All right. Now I may be a little hot, so you can turn me down in case I get carried away or anything. All right, it is possible. Glad you're here with us. If you're visiting, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, it is a blessing to be together and to worship, to pray, to share each other's lives. The fellowship that we have is such a sweet thing. And the words that we get to consider uh, from Scripture, how the Holy Spirit can use those in our lives and our hearts. We get to encourage one another. We get to build faith. Um, what we do when we share communion together, the Lord's Supper, it does seem like a mundane thing sometimes, but it's probably the most powerful thing that you and I will ever experience and share in together. So thank you, James, for that reminder. So we are continuing with part two of uh, uh, just started last week talking about resurrection. What are you going to be doing 120 years from now, part two? And we talked about how we focus so much on this, like, 90 years or so that we're given in this life, and we pay attention to that, and we, we save, 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 so maybe we get this little piece, you know, that uh, we get this enjoyment of retirement where we have financial freedom, and we all focus on that, and we give very little thought for the, what happens if what Jesus said is true. If Jesus really is who he says he he is and claimed to be. We don't think about that what next very often. So there's a lot of mystery in that what's next, and we have to own that, but there's a remarkable amount of information in the scriptures. And you don't have to agree with specific things I'm, I'm talking to you about this morning. Um, these are some of these. I have to own that these are deductions that I'm making based on the text that we give, and they could be understood in different ways. But I hope it's enough to pique your imagination and to get you thinking. So one of the things that I talked about last week as we finished up is I think we're going to have work to do in eternity. It's not just uh, uh, an eternal church service that just never ends. This guy, can you imagine being stuck in eternity listening to a guy like me? I hope you get a better preacher than that. It just go on and on and on and on and on. Or that guy next to me on the cloud over there, he's been plucking the same hymn on that harp for 328 years. I've had it. I don't think it'll be like that. I think we're going to be together doing work with our Lord. In fact, that's what is kind of alluded to in, uh, in um, Revelation, and we'll come to that. But Jesus is doing work right now, isn't he? Not only is he with us, together with us till the very end of the age, he is also working preparing a place. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. Jesus is in the hospitality business. He's working to get the rooms ready. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So Jesus is working, and he gives us work to do. Uh, we worked in the garden 
before sin entered the world. He gave us tasks of gardening, garden keepers. He gave us tasks of reigning, like giving names to animals, putting them before us to see what things we would come up with. And the Lord saying, whatever man names them, whatever the humans name these things, that's what they're going to be. And so he wants to partner with us. And they will reign through the ages of ages. Reigning is one particular kind of work. And we do this in collaboration with God in the light of his face, through his power and resources available to us in his kingdom. And we work with God and we work together with other people that he chooses that we get to work together with. Work is the production of value and work is a tremendous blessing. Work gives life, work harnesses passion, work fosters creativity. It's something that we have to look forward to in the times that are to come. And uh, the work that we're doing, the only work, when we kind of think that sounds suspicious to us now, because not all of us like work very well. But we're going to get to work again before the problem with work came. The curse was that we have to do work by the sweat of our brow. But we're not in eternity going to have to work with the sweat of our brow. And so our earthly existence, that's the only work that we've ever known. And even those of us who've experienced some life-giving passion from our work, we feel like it's important, we feel like we're contributing, there are parts of it that are just plain and simple. They have not been redeemed, and they are not enjoyable, and we all go through them. But work without the curse, it's going to be exciting. I think we're going to be making art. We're going to be building things. We're going to be creating things that are useful. We're going to be exploring. We're going to be discovering things. And if there are cycles of work, that implies cycles of rest and cycles of enjoying the fruit of our labors and what is produced. God is big enough to make it really interesting for us. So what else can we say about what we're going to be doing 120 years from now, from what the scriptures say? Well, we'll, we will be working a second one, and this one sounds particularly scary to us. And it's Jesus' words about hypocrisy. But when you think about this, philosophically, what this means, uh, it's a tremendous blessing. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Does that sound like a good thing to you? Ian thinks so. Thanks, Ian. Got my back, buddy. In the life to come, all of your dirty little secrets, all of your lies, all of your grossness, all of your perversion, all of your evil, everyone's going to know about them. 
And most of us have been hiding secrets so long that we can't even imagine what life would be like without having to manage those secrets, without having to not talk about certain things and pretend about certain things and cover up certain things. But what this means is that hypocrisy will be impossible for us. You will not be able to pretend to be better or smarter or holier or more deserving than you really are. And what this means is it will be impossible for you to hide. You won't be able to hide. It sounds so threatening to us. But as you progress, even in this life, in growth in Christ-likeness, uh, you're not keeping secrets the way that you, you're not threatened by, I used to think things like, uh, I can never let anyone know about this because they, people can take that information and use it against me. And so one of the areas of struggle that I've had in my own life was the area of lust and temptations surrounding that. And I just thought, this information is not safe for anyone to know ever. And as I've grown in the Christian life, I mean, there are things as a minister that you don't want just like advertised out there. But those fears do not hold sway over me. I have been redeemed from that broken way of life. I have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. I don't fear it the same way. I've not been held captive to it the same way. There is great freedom that comes with that. But that just, when we enter into eternity together with our Lord, secrets aren't going to have a hiding place. We're not going to have to fear. And the reason why we fear it now is how could anyone possibly care for me or love me if they saw the great extent of my brokenness? If they saw me at my very worst, how could anyone possibly care for me? God does. And he's going to teach us how to do that for each other as well. No more secrets. No more hiding. It's all there. Public record. The worst of us, the best of us. All under our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, who is the only one who was perfect. And what that's going to do is he's going to get even more glorious when we realize all that he carries on our behalf. So here's another one. No more worry, no more anxiety, no more mourning. No more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. Can you imagine a world together with the Lord and his kingdom where we don't have things to be anxious about? Where there's no more anxiety? There's nothing left to mourn and be brokenhearted about? 
How much time do you spend worrying, even worrying about things you know you cannot control? Some of us in this room are professional worriers. You're professional anxious people. You just carry it, and it's all beneath the surface just and you try to put this facade in, and you know, it just that you have it all together, that you hold it together. We can't even speak about some of this, this again, the secret thing, the churning that is going on in here. We don't want people to see it here, but it's going on in here constantly. And we know we're supposed to let these things go. We know that we can trust the Lord, and yet we hold things, and we hold things back from Him, and we pretend things are okay that are not okay. So some of us who are professional worriers, we're going to have a lot of time freed up. Think about that. The time we spend suffering because we're anxious, because we're tied into knots, the depression that leads to, there's just not going to be a place for that. It won't be necessary anymore. And what good news that is to us. Here's another one. No more marriage. Well, that's an interesting one. No more marriage. And 120 years from now, uh, like the covenant that I have with Alicia, uh, that covenant will be gone and fulfilled. It will have served its purpose. Jesus says this about it. And this is in a bigger context where he was being tested. They were trying to catch him with his words and other things. But I think there are things that we can legitimately, deductions we can legitimately make from these texts. The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die. For they are like the angels. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. So how will we be like the angels in the age to come? Uh, Well, there's a lot of mystery here, of course. Uh, But at minimum, uh, we, we will be like the angels means from this context that we won't die, first of all, it says, and we won't be marrying, first of all, or second. But I think there are other deductions we can make as well. What is marriage? Marriage is a covenant. It's a promise. It's a great gift that some of us have been given in this biological life. It binds us together, a woman together with a man. It makes us safe for each other. It directs and guides and focuses uh, our passion and our sexual energy. Uh, It becomes something that is life-giving. In Christian sexuality in the context of marriage becomes something that gives life instead of destroys your life, instead of destroying other people's life and using other people. So marriage covenants, it makes a man and a woman safe for each other, safe for other people, uh, makes them safe for any children that they are blessed to be able to bring into the world. And we all know the consequences and the ramifications of when those covenants are broken and the pain that that causes and the destruction that comes, the waves of that. But uh, 
One thing you can say about marriage is it's very exclusive. It's one other person. I mean, ideally what the scriptures describe. One other person of the opposite gender for your whole, whole lives together, your biological lives. That is the ideal of Scripture. Uh, it is meant to be one other person. But in eternity, we will not need the protections and the guidance that marriages provide. We won't need the exclusivity of marriage in eternity. Uh, there won't be singles dances in heaven. There won't be widows or widowers in heaven. There is no such thing as a spinster in heaven. There won't be anyone left out. You think about this world now, for those of us who are, marriage, are married, we, ex, we assume certain things. Even in the language that we have in the church, you know, to be a, a competent, grown-up, successful person, you have to be in a marriage together. You have to be raising children. You have to... And we don't have a very good vision in a Christian culture even of the gift of singleness and uh, how do we focus that gift as a single person? How do we honor our single people who are single for a lot of variety of reasons? Uh, maybe they're previously married. Maybe they're a widower, or uh, maybe they just never find that person. Maybe they're younger. Not all of us are married in this room. Some of us are in the process, getting closer, getting closer. But there's not anyone who's going to be left out. No one is left out, that means. So in our current life, there are some physical barriers, social barriers, cultural barriers that, frankly, they're not going to make sense from the perspective of eternity. And I think our capacity to love is not going to shrink, but it's going to grow. And we will have the character necessary uh, to enjoy pleasures that seem unimaginable now. Uh, I think our capacity to give and receive pleasure, it's not going to diminish. It's going to be amplified, and it's going to grow. And I'm not trying to be weird or gross or anything, and I don't think we need to be shy about it. I don't think we need to be scared of it. Because, remember, there's no more secrets. There's no more shame surrounding whatever it is. I don't know what it'll be. And we don't have to fear because we know that together with the Lord, the greatest pleasures of heaven, whatever they turn out to be, they are going to grow love and they will be holy because it will be a reality as he wants it for us. And it's going to be amazing. And I don't know what it means. And I don't even, it's probably not helpful to think about what, what that means, but... No one's going to be left out of it. If you are a child of the kingdom, you are a child together with the Lord in paradise. That's what he said to a thief dying next to him on the cross. I tell you the truth, today, don't even have to wait for it very long. Today you will be with me in paradise. What does that mean? I mean, these, these verses are just loaded if you have some sanctified imagination that you bring to them.
So when we die, immediately we move on into the pleasures of paradise. In paradise, there will be so much to enjoy that it's a good thing that we have eternity because we're going to need a lot of time. Uh, It's a good thing that our capacity for enjoyment is going to grow because it's more enjoyment than we're capable of right now. It's more pleasure than we are safely capable of right now. So these are some things, deductions that I kind of make, just hopefully to get you thinking about some of that. Let's talk about the resurrection body, because there's a lot of information actually in the scriptures about this as well. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed. These are Paul's words from 1 Corinthians. And he's talking about the resurrection. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This is Paul's words. What you think about as your body, our bodies now, in this kind of language of 1 Corinthians, it almost just sounds like it's the, the outer shell of the seed. It's the seed coat. It has its function, helps protect the seed, what's going on. But when you die, you leave that shell behind. That shell has been used up. It serves no further purpose. So when a person dies, uh, the people left behind here, we see that body. Uh, But what they think of as you they cannot find at that body anymore. That's because we've gone on. And we're together in paradise with the Lord. See, the address of Calvin is associated with this body. And 20 years ago, this body looks better, looked better than it does today. But a time is coming when people will not look for Calvin with this body anymore. This body will be in the dirt. This body will be decomposing. Uh, I don't know whichever way I go. My nutrients might go on and nourish some plant somewhere. I don't know. But people will not look for me with that body anymore. And even those who, you know, I, I talk to people who've gone on in the Lord. I've even visited their gravesides. But I'm talking to them, and I don't associate with that whatever is under the ground there anymore. So, my, this is actually my earliest thoughts about what resurrection is like. And as a young boy, I lived in a little town called Pratt, Kansas. 
And one of the most fascinating things, I loved bugs, lightning, fireflies, whatever. I'd collect them in jars. I'd go looking for them. I had a butterfly net. My dad used to collect insects. I used to stare at his collection of bugs and be fascinated by it. He was a biologist, so he had cool bugs around. And I would look, but the, my favorite bug that I remember, and this, I was just a little guy, was these cicada shells. And I knew that this wasn't the bug anymore. This is something that the bug had left behind. And I never even knew what adult cicadas look like. I didn't know they had wings because I don't see anything that looks like a wing here in this thing. It was just a shell. And I remember trying to figure out how that worked and thinking, even as a little boy, is that what resurrection is like, Lord? And we'll leave this body behind? So this body serves a purpose and a function. And there maybe is a part that's left behind, but it's not just like a discard thing. It's like a transform thing, if I'm reading the scriptures correctly. Because as human beings, we're created as embodied beings. Bodies remain important to us. We don't just like float out of this body and there's no more body. We're not like smoke or a wisp or a memory or an idea. Uh, bodies are important to us. It's just that this lowly body is transformed and we become a glorious body. And this body, it will be recognizable as you. You as you have never been, but you as you become. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he holds it all together. Jesus Christ is the one who keeps the show running. Physics, the laws of physics, all of those things, it is the will of God displayed. will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our lowly bodies are going to be transformed to his glorious body. Well, do we know some things about the glorious body of Jesus? Yeah, we do, actually quite a bit. Because Jesus, in that glorious body, after he was raised from the dead, he came and did some stuff. He was visiting people. He was showing up behind locked doors, saying, hey, put your hand in my side and see the wounds on my hands. So what about this glorious body, the scripture? There's all kinds of uh, things that we can deduce here. First of all, this body that we're getting, it doesn't die, it's raised imperishable. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. The spiritual body that we have, it will be recognizable as you. People are going to know, oh, that's Mike Duffield, as Mike Duffield has never been. Praise God, he's looking good now. <laughs> that spiritual body will be recognizable as you. The spiritual body, it will be capable of experiencing pleasure. 
uh, together you, today you will be together with me in paradise from Luke 23. The spiritual body, it can be touched. It's not like a ghost, Jesus says. I have flesh and bones, so that you can look for the references there in Luke 24, 39 and Matthew 28, 9. And this is what I put exclamations by this one because I'm particularly happy about the spiritual body that I will have and receive. It eats food. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you guys are so inhibited. A spiritual body can breathe. He breathes on them. So I don't know if it'll be breathing because of necessity, but it is a possibility. It is to receive the Holy Spirit. The body can pass through matter. It says, it makes a point of saying in John that they were behind a locked door when Jesus appeared. Just appears. It can pass through matter. Just show up places. It can just leave, disappear. Uh, we can read about that in John and Luke. This body, it can be taken up. Jesus ascends into the clouds. And you read about that in Acts, I think. So I don't know what that means. And they're, they're trying to find language for this. I don't know if it's like flying, like, I don't know, Superman or or Neo, or just like pew, out of here, or just kind of gradually floating away. I don't, I don't know. It's in the scriptures. There are going to be amazing things associated with these spiritual bodies that we are going to receive. The limitations and the boundaries that we experience now, it's all going to be changed, and it's going to be glorious, and it's going to be holy together with our Lord. So that'll be fun to look forward to. But what is God up to with all of this? What's God, why does God set things up the way he does? Why don't we start with the body like this? Why does God have us go through all of this pain and hardship and mourning and heartache that is inevitably associated with our life on earth. Why would God allow all of that? And I don't even have answers for some of the things that I know about that you guys are carrying. I just pray for you, and I pray for miracles, and I pray for the will of the Father be done. But most of all, I pray for your faith. I pray for your faith that you don't give up on Jesus. That's what I'm praying for you, church, as your minister, that you do not give up on Jesus. See, all of us in one way or another, we are living the story of Job. Where either you're just gonna curse God and die, or you're gonna say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, what is God up to with humanity? Well, I think we can be pretty clear about this. God is interested in the kind of person you are becoming. God is interested in the character you are developing. 
When you get the power of your spiritual body, how are you going to use that power? God is training us for even greater responsibilities than anything we've experienced. So the parable of the talents tells us that. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things here in this earthly life. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Going to heaven is not a concession prize. It's a promotion. Going to heaven isn't less pleasurable. It's more pleasurable. It's better. We're going to be seeing things clearly. That's when we get the answers to our Job situations, the difficult things that we go through. Your faithfulness in the few things of this life It develops the kind of character so that you can be entrusted with the many things of eternity. The many things of eternity. God's project in this world is to develop our character to the point uh, that we are going to be safe to use great power. Great power that would be so destructive if we are not fully redeemed in Christ Jesus. God, he wants to develop us to the point where he can hand over the keys to the car and we can reign for eternity. He's going to empower you to do what you want to do. What do you mean? He's going to empower me to do what he wants to do, not not what I want to do. I'll be his slave forever. No, you heard me right. God is going to empower you to do what you want to do. You're going to get to figure things out. Well, how in the world could you say something like that, Calvin? And I think about it from the perspective of parenting. What do you hope for your kids? Not that they're going to be robots to do exactly the way, things the way you want, but you want them to have the character that they can make responsible decisions, decisions that won't harm them, that won't harm others. So even bad parents know intuitively, if I give this kid a million dollars, it is not going to fix his problems. It's going to make things a whole lot worse because the character is not there. And why can I say that God is going to let us do what we want to do? It's because what we want to do is always going to be good, and it's going to be something that honors the Lord. It will be done in the shadow of his face with his full knowledge. He's going to set us free to do amazing projects in this universe. And I know our heart will be right because we have received the heart of Christ. And when we have the full heart of Christ and our redemption, it continues throughout eternity. We choose what grows and develops and fosters love. We choose what magnifies the Lord and makes him brilliant and holy among us. We choose right because the heart is right. You don't have to agree with me. But I think that our character development is so important to the Lord 
because he wants to entrust us with great power and great responsibility. So St. Augustine, he said it this way, there, talking about heaven, there we shall rest and see, see and love, love and praise. This is what shall be in the end without end. For what other end do we purpose to ourselves than to attain to the kingdom of which there is no end? The city of God. So many people, they fear death. They fear bad things happening to them. They're just hanging on tooth and nail. And I've had people tell me, Calvin, it's not death I'm afraid of. I'm just afraid of the way I'm going to die. Meaning, I don't want to suffer. And it's so hard in this world to trust that Jesus has us. To trust that he's going to take care of us. But our loved ones who have gone on ahead of us in the Lord, when we die, they're going to be there to meet us. And we're just going to go on from this life into the eternal life. We may not even realize that we've died. We're just going on. In this world, we're held captive to sin. Everything we know follows the second law of thermodynamics, moving from chaos to a state of disorder, or moving from order to a state of chaos, moving from health to decay, moving from a state of life to a state of death. Except for one thing, the kind of person you are becoming. The only thing that we get to take with us to the Lord the choices that we make now, the good that we've been able to do, and the kind of character that we've developed. And it's the fruit of his Holy Spirit living in us that is being poured out. And when people grow in becoming closer to Christ, they might be in this decrepit old lady's body. And yet there's something about them, a freshness of spirit, that is childlike. This, this little decrepit lady, she might have crooked fingers and crooked teeth and starting to get whiskers. And she can't see him to get rid of them. And yet, there's a sparkle in her eye and a beauty of her soul that gets more and more apparent and other people see it and are encouraged by it. And she brings life to those around her because it's the life of the Lord living in her. And that character is developing to be safe, to work together with God throughout all eternity. So I'm done. Dad, you can come up. We always offer an invitation to put the Lord in a baptism or for the prayers of this church. And you can come up in a moment when we do that. But I have one more question before we get there. I have a little poem I want to sh uh, share with you. Do you guys know what this is? It's a little sea creature called a chambered nautilus. It's 
It's in the family of squid or octopus, I think. But they make this special little shell. The Nautilus lives in the shell as at home, as its home, but as it grows, it gets too tight, the shell that it's made. And so it builds another larger chamber. And then it moves on to that new chamber and then uh, seals off the old chamber that was behind it. It's like upgrading from a one-bedroom apartment to, well, from a tiny home to a one-bedroom apartment or a studio to a one-bedroom. And then that gets a little tight, and then I upgrade to a two-bedroom apartment. And that gets a little tight, and I buy my starter home with three bedrooms. And then so it just, but then that space gets full, and so it just, it fills, it keeps building new chambers shutting off the old and moving into more spacious chambers. Fascinating little creature. And a famous American poet wrote about this little creature. He said this, Year after year, behind the silent toil that spread his lustrous coil, still as the spiral grew, he left the past year's dwelling for the new, stole with soft step its shining archway through, built up its idle door, stretched in his last found home, and knew the old one no more. Thanks for the heavenly message brought by thee, child of the wandering sea, cast from her lap forlorn, from thy dead lips a clearer note is born than ever triton blew from wreathed horn, while on my ears it rings. Through the deep caves of thought I hear a voice that sings. Build thee more stately mansions, O my soul, as the swift seasons roll. Leave thy low-vaulted past. Let each new temple nobler than the last shut thee from heaven with a dome more vast till thou at length art free, leaving thine outgrown shell by life's unresting sea. Paul says it even more succinctly, I think. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Let's stand and sing together. <clears throat>